Okay, hello. Welcome back to Cinema at First Sight, the podcast where I review movies and TV shows based on either the first episode or the first 50% of the movie. Today, I am joined by my father. Good evening, everyone. Yes, welcome. And we are going to be talking about the new Netflix original series entitled The Queen's Gambit. It stars Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomas Brody Sangster and a bunch of other people I don't remotely know. Well, I mean, theoretically, it stars Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomas Brody Sangster, but they're either only featured briefly in the pilot or not featured at all, but we'll get into that later. So the first question I have for us is, is this a rewatch or is this a first time watch? Well, it's very much a first-time watch. I actually have that written in my notes, word for word, very much a first-time watch. Interesting. I didn't even pick up on that. I know, that. crazy. Yeah. Um, well, it's been out for a couple of weeks now, and it has hella hype, both critically and from people I personally know whose opinions actually matter and I actually respect. So I um, was very excited to watch it. Now we'll just do like a breakdown of some basic plot points. So if you haven't seen the episode, please go and watch it now and come back because hella spoilers ensue. So it's set during the Cold War in 1967 and revolves around an orphan chess prodigy slash high-key drug addict named Beth Harmon. So it kind of flashes between Beth in 1967, which is the present, and her troubling upbringing. So our introduction to the character is her hella disheveled, post-drug hit, quickly getting ready to partake in an intense chess tournament. And then we're taken back to her childhood and we learned that her mother was killed when she was young in a car accident and she's now an orphan and her dad isn't in the picture. So she's taken to like a kind of strict, kind of low-key unconventional orphanage with 21 other girls. They cut her hair, give her a uniform, burn her old clothes, make her little minion, you know, classic 60s orphanage shenanigans. And then she's formally introduced to drugs at a young age, which they call magic vitamins, which was apparently a pretty standard 60s move. She becomes dazed and disoriented, but also seems kind of into them because she takes them more regularly than everyone else. And then they trigger memories of her upbringing and her mom acting super shady, like burning all their belongings and running away and being visited by her ex-husband in the middle of the night. Weird stuff like that. One time she finishes her schoolwork early and heads down to the basement to clap her razors for fun and discovers a chessboard for the first time, which I consider a pretty pivotal moment. Her world turned upside down. Things change. She begins envisioning chessboards on the ceiling in the night, albeit under the influence of intense tranquilizers. But still, she's like, I play in my head on the ceiling. Just cute, normal stuff like that. She then heads back to the basement whenever she can and spies on a man who's playing chess and memorizes how it works. She goes full Rain Man. Eventually, he invites her to play actual games. And between that and her nightly drug-induced chess hallucination, she becomes super good, especially considering the fact that she's nine years old. Like, that's insane. I think we only find that out like halfway through the episode, but what? Uh, But eventually, Basement Guy sets up a mini tournament between Beth and the head of the local chess club, and she wins. He brings her a doll as a present, but she's very much not into it, so clearly she's uninterested in his determination to uphold gender stereotypes. Just to be clear, that's the head of the local chess club, not the janitor who gives her the doll. Yes, yes, yes. Just some clarification there. Um, She then begins going to a local high school one day a week to play against older players. And when she gets there, it's literally just a bunch of teenage boys that she has to play against simultaneously. It is a literal boys club. 
toxic masculinity intensified. And she wins. But then towards the end, something crazy happens. It turns out she's no longer allowed to take the green tranquilizer pills due to new state law. Crazy preventing children from taking drugs. So she can't practice chess on the ceiling at night. She suffers from intense withdrawal symptoms, so tries to find sneaky ways to get them. And the episode ends with her breaking into a jar of tranquilizers during a scheduled movie time, binging on them, and being caught by the headmistress and a bunch of students and passing out. What an episode closer. Mm. And um, after that, let's get into some analysis. So um, I'll let you start off with this one, Faja, because obviously I've been talking for a while. But what are some of your favorite slash what moments do you consider to be the most exciting and most pivotal? Well, well, look, I, I thought there were two particularly pivotal moments. One, just in terms of setting the scene for the whole series, the opening scene. When you watch that, you realize that this is not some boring or technical analysis of chess. This is a series about chess, sex, drugs, and maybe not so much rock and roll. So I, I think that's a fairly iconic opening. It sets the whole scene. You realise that you're not watching something boring. This is going to be a different take on the grand old game of chess. Uh, Plot-wise, clearly, I think the most pivotal moment is when she meets the janitor downstairs and they start playing chess. He okay, yeah. He chess. Mr. Scheibel, I believe, is his name. Okay, I just have him listed as a random basement mentor guy. Yeah, he, he starts off being quite grumpy and really unenthusiastic, doesn't believe that girls can play chess, but she shows an interest and keeps coming back. And even when she uses foul language, he realises that perhaps he's got a prodigy on his hands and keeps playing with her. So I think those two moments, the first one which sets the scene and the second one which introduces her to the game of chess to me were fairly significant moments in the episode okay i mean i would agree with that but they aren't the ones that i have listed excellent Look at us. Range of opinions. So I say that obviously a pivotal moment is when she starts winning the chess games because we see that clearly she's smart and incredibly competent and she continues winning them at the high school. So she seems essentially unbeatable and I feel like something is definitely going to come from that. And then the other pivotal moment I have is when she's no longer allowed to have her tranquilizer pills and breaks into the jar and has a fat little drug binge because that means it's clear that Beth is hooked. It's not just a drug habit. It's a dependency as opposed to a dainty recreational hobby. Well, it, it's part of her personality and it's a, an essential part of her chess playing as well. Yeah, I mean, drugs is a personality trait. We've seen that before. <laughs> um, so next question, on the flip side, what are our least favourite slash least pivotal moments? Well, look, I mean, the final scene in the episode with the jar of tranquilizers is kind of funny, but I did think perhaps it was a little bit unnecessary. We've already established by this point that she was hooked, but... At the same time, it's quite an image with Beth stuffing her mouth with the tranquilizers and falling off the stool. I mean, some people might think that was overdone. I'm just not quite certain. That's actually a good point. I didn't even think about that. I was just like, yeah, that's funny. But I guess we weren't really introduced to any new information in that scene. So it wasn't yeah, strictly necessary. E- exactly. But certainly visually, it was it was quite good. It was quite a moment. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. And, and certainly coming the juxtaposition of the biblical epic, mm. um, which all the girls are watching with Richard Burton. Yeah. I don't know which one it was. I'm not an expert. Neither do I. I didn't even know it was Richard Burton. Epics. So yeah, yeah. Well, I recognise the voice. Good for you. Um, but the juxtaposition between that and Richard Burton and his lady sacrificing themselves for their Jesus and all that kind of thing mm. and at the same time Beth's getting stuck into the jar. I Sets mean, that up was drugs as her Jesus. Yep, perhaps. As wow. her personal Jesus. That's yeah. exactly right. There we go. 
Um, I put for least favorite moments or like least pivotal moments. I said that I genuinely don't have any because I hmm. feel like it's the type of show where everything that happens, even if it may seem insignificant at first, I feel like it'll come back and become relevant later. Um, so like there were a few shots throughout of her looking out at some older kids at the local high school who were smoking and hooking up and stuff, which didn't really have anything to do with anything in this episode, but... I'm just guesstimating here. I think that her curiosity in a risque life outside of the orphanage's four walls will be a reoccurring theme as the show progresses. Yeah, and I I think that's kind of flagged in the opening scene to get back to that, to close the loop, actually. That's true. And then I also said, like, in terms of not a negative for me personally, but could be considered a negative, that the show is a bit of a slow burn and it requires more concentration than, say, your average Netflix show. So that may be a con for more impatient and easily distracted people who just want like a little nightly chill out sure because i mean a, a program about chess is is not necessarily going to grab everybody even though it's obviously a quite a different show about chess in fact i can't remember seeing any other television shows about chess neither can i it's a slept on genre <laughs> absolutely i mean documentaries sure yeah but a netflix fictional original series yeah, never been done before indeed. trailblazing yeah. Um, so let's get into some of our favourite characters. What do you have? Uh, look, I've got Jolene. Um, who's... Oh, yeah, so do I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just for some context, um, oh. Jolene is Beth, the main character. Uh, she's her friend at the orphanage. Uh, probably only friend at the orphanage, yeah. I think. And, and she's a, a young lady of colour who has very little hope of being adopted, you would have thought, as opposed to some of the little white girls in the orphanage. But nevertheless, she's quite a character. She's got a foul mouth. She does. Which she, which she I wrote that one down. Quite regularly. She gives Beth advice on the best time to take the tranquilizers, which is at night as well. Which is, yeah. So she's she's a, a formative influence on, on Beth because without her, Beth would not be going through the moves in her head, looking at the ceiling, off a nut on those green pills. Exactly. I put that Jolene is like a pseudo-mentor for Beth. Um, She enlightens her about drugs and male anatomy. She goes against the grain and fights against the system. And um, I respect those powers moves. Uh, she kind of acts as a rebellious inspiration for her. And like, she's funny and low-key reckless, but also at times doles out some mature advice. She tries to warn Beth not to become too dependent on drugs. I mean, yeah, like this is clearly to no avail, but she gives it her best effort. Uh, kind of. She does also end up becoming her vitamin supplier before her high school chess tournament after they're banned. But, you know, that just means she's a contradictory queen and that's okay because people are complicated. Yeah, and and, uh, and I feel as if Jolene may play an important role in future episodes. I hope she does. Yeah. I'd like that. And then, oh, I mean, another favourite character I have is Beth so far. Sure. Just because she's smart, she's competent. Um, She's got like a kind of dry personality. Actually, personality is probably a bit of a stretch. But I respect that she clearly has superior intellect and that she's not interested in traditionally feminine things. She's kind of like a proto-feminist. Like when she wasn't amused by the doll she got as a gift and instead wanted to keep playing chess, which is a traditionally male pursuit, she said gender, a construct, stereotypes, no thank you. She's a queen. This is her gambit. Well, it's certainly her gambit. But she's not meant to be a likeable character, I don't think. Yeah, I wouldn't say that um, she is. She's obsessive. She's drug-addled. She's a prodigy, of course. Mm, for sure. And you would expect that 
as she moves through life, she may either take a, a different take on, on, on certain life events or indeed be quite uninterested in them. I mean, at this point, her talents are for mathematics and chess and for taking yeah. lots of drugs and having a, a good time. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to have a good time? Absolutely. And, and it, you know, it's not a party, 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 hardy kind of good time. It's a lying in bed off your nut on those green pills, watching the chess pieces move across the ceiling kind of good time, which yeah. may not suit everybody. It's a more subtle academic drug binge. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Aesthetic, you could even say. Yeah, I'd say quite highbrow. Yeah. Um, especially for a nine-year-old. Yes, indeed. Um, and then another favourite character I have, you, you knew his name, but yeah, male chess basement mentor. Mr. Scheibel. Exactly. I was taking that. Yeah, there we go. Like you were saying, he's hesitant to teach her at first, but ends up taking a chance on a nine-year-old and a nine-year-old female at that, which for the 60s, crazy, because he says that women can't play chess for some cute little sexist 1960s reason. But he mentors her anyway, which uh, is well, a bold I, move. I, I think after she thrashes him soundly on, on a number of successive occasions, he gets over that. Yeah, he does. And realises that she is a prodigy, which I'm suspecting might be a word which comes up a bit during the series. That's just a guess. Okay, yeah. But anyway, introduces her to the head of the local chess club, and then we get on to the scenario where she plays yeah. 12 pimply, incompetent young men at once at the school. A satisfying scene. Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, yeah, I said that as well. I said that I liked that he was the facilitator of the tournament with the local chess club, and so he's encouraging her clearly superior gift and advancing her career. I, I, well, kind of. I mean, she's nine, but, you yeah, know. Yeah, sure. And, and all the time with a kind of rumpled, slightly grumpy persona. So what's not to like I about enjoy Mr. Him. Scheibel? Yeah. He's a complex man, that one. Sure. And he likes a drink, too. Yeah. So, on the flip side, again, who are our least favourite characters? Well, look, as, as I said, I mean, I, I think Beth can be a little bit hard to empathise with. Slightly, oh, for sure, yeah. I'm certainly stopping short of saying that she's one of my least favourite characters because she is the principal character and she's not supposed to be likeable. Yeah, no, I don't like her, but I, I respect her. Sure. You know, to pick a really obvious one, the woman who's in charge of the orphanage. That's what I said as well. Yeah, she ain't great. But as it goes on, she's just doing a job. It's the 60s. She's looking after a bunch of orphans. Yeah. She's teaching them about etiquette and Jesus. Which is very much a product of the time. She's just doing a job. Indeed. Indeed. That's right. So, I mean, you wouldn't say she's a bad character. Um, the mother, True, from what we yeah. see of Beth's mother, she's somewhat problematic. We uh, only see her in, for minutes, if that, in a flashback scene. But who is she? Yeah, well, indeed. And why did she decide to commit suicide? Because that's the implication from, I mean, she her, did. from her final words, which she says to Beth, close your eyes, uh, when she's probably driving the car straight into another car. Okay, well... That's what I picked up on. I, I don't know. I, I Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But okay, this is a great segue to our next point. Storylines that I think will be expanded upon okay. slash want to be expanded upon. Mm-hmm. So my first point is what actually happened with the mum? Why is she acting so sus? And also, how did someone with a PhD from Cornell end up in a trailer? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's her story? Absolutely. And yeah, now I want to know, did she commit suicide? Sure. Another question. And also, where is Beth's dad? We know that he's not in the picture and they were suspecting that maybe he just like left to live a carefree lifestyle. But in a flashback, we see him clearly arguing with the mom and then she kicks him out. So like, where is he? What's the story? And he appeared to be showing an interest in young Beth's welfare as well. Yeah. Even though he called her Lizzie, I think, which wasn't Yeah, really and then the mom was like, no, name. don't call her that. But then is that the mom enforcing her own beliefs upon her? We in, don't know. In, indeed. And, and eventually he beat her. Retreat, but um, will he come back? I don't know. I, I mean, don't another know. question. 
with the lack of a mother and a father, will she have a proper mother and or father figure? Yeah, will she get adopted? She's a white girl. She's got a chance of being adopted. Yeah. Will that happen? And if so, what will they think about the drug taking and the chance? That's so true. And then going back to what I was saying before, like I said, in classic puberty fashion, she becomes low-key obsessed with male anatomy and starts looking out at the cool older kids hanging out and hooking up outside of the fenced confines of the orphanage, Um, which honestly is comparatively wholesome coming-of-age fascination compared to her blossoming drug addiction. But what's going to happen with that? Will she try and escape? Will her weekly visits to the high school to play chess become more and more risque? I guess we'll see. Oh, of course. And taking a series-long perspective, I'm fascinated at her journey from the orphanage to playing the grandmaster, whoever the bloke is, in Paris when she's... True, yeah, yeah. You know, had a hard night and barely... Well, doesn't make it on time. Yeah. She begins the match with an apology and then we move on to her backstory. So obviously yeah. we, we, we want to see that journey. That's what I have as well. I say, what will happen in the present? I mean, we barely saw Anya Taylor-Joy at the beginning. Is she simply a cameo? I, I doubt it. But um, yeah, based I on the pilot, I guess you don't know. Who knows? And will anybody ever beat her again? True. That's the question. I mean, Mr. Scheibel beats her a couple of times very early on when she's playing the first couple of games of chess. But after that, she appears to be quite unbeatable. That's sure, true. at a fairly low high school level at this point, even though she's nine, she's playing people in high school. But yeah. I would assume that this will develop. And exactly. As she point, develops, her skills will develop it, and her superiority will develop. Well, yeah, but it wouldn't be a good story if she never gets beaten. So yeah, because presumably if you, that has to happen at some point. Right, because losing equals character development sure. and tenacity, and she needs to gain those things. Sure, and, and you know, it, it, as we know, it, it's set in the Cold War, or at least the beginning is when she's a child, it's in the midst of the Cold War, and the Cold War is still going on in 1967 and as we know which country produces the leading chess players at least back then it was the Ruskies so how's that going to play out yeah when she starts branching out uh, playing Russian men exactly it will happen at some point or just Russian people yes but men I'm, don't necessarily make better chess players well I, I think we're looking no no I'm not saying that at all but I'm saying it is set in the 60s and so and from that my, was from my limited yeah. knowledge of, of chess I can't remember any Russian female grandmasters from the 1960s but there could be some honestly I can't remember any we, we chess Google players full stop uh, Bobby Fischer Boris okay Spatsky, well look that's it that's I, I, I'm not saying I care to know. That's it. That's in the 70s, I think. One Great. was Russian, okay. one was American. It was mm-hmm. a whole Cold War thing. The only thing I know that's about the 70s is Alba. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, moving on to most problematic moments. Most problematic moment. Mm. Also like problematic, aka on PC, kind of. Oh. Yeah, that kind of problematic. Okay. Hmm. Do you want to lead off? Okay, sure. Sure, thank you. I'm always down for that. Um, so, I mean, these aren't actually problematic moments about the show. They're things that are in the show that could be classified as problematic. I will expand on what I mean. So, obviously, it says that chess is classed as a male-only sport. Mm, I this... think that's, that's probably accurate for them. Yeah, least. exactly. But that's the show critiquing the time and the traditional values promoted within it and clearly not the stance and opinion that the show is taking. So that's not problematic about the show. Well, it, indeed. And, and I'm assuming that the show the one of the themes is a young woman overcoming yeah. all those obstacles it is like a basic kind of stance on feminism like woo i'm a woman and i can play chess that's crazy but like for 1967 that's pretty good i'll take yeah, what yeah, i can exactly. get um and the other problematic thing it is that it depicts a nine-year-old with an extreme drug abuse problem but again it's not advocating that this is how nine-year-olds should be behaving and what they should be spending their time doing but is critiquing that and critiquing the fact that drugs were given to kids no, in well, the 60s exactly. and orphanages I, and i mean in terms of the production that seems to be a fairly crucial 
crucial part of the plot. Yeah. G- given that, even at the beginning in 1967, we see her opening a vial with a couple of little green pills. So mm. she hasn't given them up. And in fact, one master ask, are they an essential part of her success? That's another question. Um, and then next question, what category of viewing would we slot this into? The three that I have are trash, treasure, or guilty pleasure. And then just to expand on that, trash is something that's genuinely bad, like actually awful, not even in a fun way. Like I have to shut it off. It's so bad. Treasure is something that I think is genuinely good. I'm really enjoying it and I'm unapologetically enjoying it. And then guilty pleasure is something where like, I know that it's not actually, it's never going to win an Oscar. It's never going to be nominated for an Emmy. It's kind of trashy but I'm having a really good time watching it so like every Disney Channel original movie ever made sure well from my perspective hands down treasure me Uh, too it's a terrific show the acting's great not very many well known actors in it at all well at least to me Anya Taylor-Joy is like and Thomas Brady Sangster but neither of them are really in this episode much yeah well exactly exactly yeah the the, the young man from Love Actually hasn't actually turned up not at all as I understand it he does a bit later on Um, but no look definitely a treasure or if I didn't adopt your definition of a guilty pleasure I could say it's a bit of a guilty pleasure embarking on a seven part series about chess because in other circumstances you may not wish to admit that to people if it was a different show but there is a buzz on the streets with big it. buzz um, so really I think that guilty pleasure element probably is eliminated by that but nevertheless watching it the first time I was thinking am I going to be devoting a substantial amount of my time to watching somebody play chess and I think after the first episode the answer is Hell yeah. Yeah, that is a question that we will circle back to later. But um, yeah, what is the ideal viewing situation that you would want to watch this show in? I wouldn't be watching it in a large group. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be watching it in a large group of rowdy people. That's true. You need uh, to be concentrating. You might be drinking or taking other stimulants because you wouldn't be able to concentrate. And I think in this show, the detail is really important. And as Annabelle has pointed out, there are a number of elements in that first episode where you think, oh, is this a harbinger of something to come? Um, So you need to concentrate. So I would recommend either watching it on one's own or with a loved one who's prepared to keep quiet and concentrate. Yeah, someone who you would feel comfortable telling off if they started talking. Exactly. I wouldn't watch it with like a a group of friends or something, really, unless we were all highly academic, quiet people. But I also think that it has a pretty broad audience. Mm. Uh, There are a lot of people who would enjoy this. I mean, there are mature themes such as the odd profanity and intense drug use so probably not for actual infants but yes it does require brain power to watch so my ideal viewing circumstance at least when you're first getting into it would be during the day because I know that the later it gets the less my brain wants to function like I'm not going to be able to approach this first episode at 11.30 I'm going to be watching a 20 minute sitcom before passing out. Mm. Yeah I mean I think that's a pretty good assessment of the audience which would get the most out of this I mean in some ways after one episode I'm saying it's not really about chess in some ways I'm saying that it's a story of a fiercely independent and unconventional young woman who is making it in a field which is quite male dominated me that's, too that's certainly one perspective on it but I mean only time will tell yeah we've only had 57 minutes that's true um, and then the next question, which we kind of covered, you won't be surprised with our answer, but uh, will I keep going with the rest of the season? Oh, well, certainly if, if it was up to me, which it is in, in dealing with this proposition, the answer again is hell yeah. Yeah, I put absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, my interest has been well and truly peaked. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I want to see what happens with Beth. I want to see whether she becomes a bit more empathetic mm-hmm. um, or whether she just continues on her obsessive way in the world of chess. And I don't know much about the world of chess. And 
quite frankly, I'm interested to see how that world operates, or at least operated in the 1960s. Yeah, kind of see what is behind the curtain. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, one can only question whether the chess world will be depicted accurately. Who knows? I don't know and I don't care, quite I frankly, because really... I'm not interested in chess. Yeah, no, if it is depicted accurately and it's super boring, like no one would want to watch that. Yeah, that, that would be really quite a downer, but I'm confident, even after 57 minutes, that this will continue to carve out its own particular niche and not even vaguely approach the drawing boring. Yeah, no. So I put, yeah, absolutely. And I said, like, literally, as soon as I stop recording this podcast, I want to see what happens next. Mm. And also, there are only seven episodes, so there are only six left to watch. It's going to be pretty easy to knock over. Um, and then what would we rate it out of five? Um, oh, look, highly, highly. Mm. Um, but it, this is also in the grand scheme of all shows and movies. I know, so, and I'm always yeah. a bit miserly with these kind of things. Yeah, especially um, with the first episode, because where's it going to go, sure. whatever. I, I, I would say certainly out of five, it's absolutely a four mm-hmm. at this point. It's got potential to be more. Yeah. Um, perhaps I, I would rate it somewhere between four and five, perhaps a 4.25. Oh, wow. On the basis of the opening episode, but perhaps that's getting a little bit granular. Perhaps. I put 4 slash 4.5, so we're in the same boat. Mm. And I only deducted the mark slash half mark because, yeah, it is a bit of a slow burn. We don't really know a lot about all these characters. Not but that it, there's anything wrong no, with that. No, not that there's anything wrong with that. But I also just want to see Anya Taylor-Joy come in and kill it. And I want to see Thomas Brady Sangster arrive at some point because we stand love actually. So that, that was why my point was deducted. But no, it's really good. I'm excited to keep going. It is compelling. The acting is strong. There's a strong plot. I'm completely lured and I'm excited to see what happens next. Yeah, um, as a final comment, I would like to see a bit more of a soundtrack. Oh, true. Yeah, there wasn't much music. They're covering a very evocative period in in American music. And so I'm hoping we're going to get some psychedelic action when we reach 1967 on the soundtrack. Yeah, okay. And that's pretty much all we have for you. Um, I think that that was a pretty comprehensive breakdown of the first episode. Would recommend, if you have Netflix, go hit it up right now. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Cinema at First Sight. Bye.